What do you hear, church? What do you hear? How many of you hear the sound of turning pages? This week I got an email from, from one of our dear people, and in the email that person said to me, it's so refreshing to be in a church where I hear the Bible pages being turned. It's a good reminder of why we're doing what we're doing. And this morning we're going to talk about the one who is the resurrection and the life. The one who, the one who makes Buddha obsolete. <laughs> the, one, the one who gives us hope. And when we come to Luke chapter 20 this morning, the attempts to trap Jesus have been coming rapid fire. And these are just the attempts that, that the Holy Spirit has recorded for us in the Word that, that we know about. But the attempts have been coming rapid fire. At the beginning of chapter 20, we already saw that the chief priests and scribes have come to challenge his authority, the authority by which he was teaching, the authority by which he removed the money changers from the temple, the authority by which he would come into Jerusalem as king and, and, and then in, and act in a kingly way by, by riding in on a donkey and, and being proclaimed and coronated. Then last week we saw where the Pharisees and the Herodians, a very unholy alliance, if you will, worked together to try to bring down Jesus and trap him on the issue of the Roman poll tax. Our text today in verses 27 through 40 deal with a new group of people that we have not encountered in the book of Luke. We, we've not seen them yet, and they're called the Sadducees. And in our, in our scenario this morning, in, in, in what's happening is they have come up with a question that they want to bring to Jesus that's going to bring Jesus down, they believe. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the word, I come to something like the Sadducees and I'm like, oh yeah, some kind of religious group, and I just go on. How many of you are like that? But, but I think for us to really understand what we're talking about this morning, we need to understand who Sadducees are. And, and Sadducees, uh, this is the first time, as I said, we, mentioned, we meet them in the book of Luke. The first time we meet them, Matthew talks a lot about the Sadducees in his gospel. You'll see the, the Sadducees mentioned over and over in Matthew's gospel. John doesn't mention them at all in his gospel. And Luke only mentions them one time. And so the, the, the thinking here is, and my thinking is, we tend to just come to this word Sadducees, just kind of gloss it over, not really think about who they are. But we need to understand who the Sadducees are, because chances are there's probably some Sadducees among us this morning. Like, I didn't know that. Well, there probably are. By their very name, they mean they called themselves the righteous. That's what the word Sadducees mean. We are the righteous ones. And so I think we all can identify with those people, self-righteous people who are trusting in their own merits and their own goodness. That's who these people were. There was a religious group of them. They were kind of extreme in this regard. You know that the Pharisees upheld the law and the prophets, and they were very much good about taking the law and the prophets and then adding their own rules to them. They were really good at doing that. The Sadducees were different in this regard. There was only one part of the law and prophets that really mattered to them, and that was the first five books, the, the Torah proper. They didn't go much beyond that. And in fact, they totally rejected the Pharisees in their line of teaching because the Pharisees were big on adding to it, and, and their oral tradition was huge. The Sadducees said, no, no. 
It's just the first five books, baby. That's all we need. In doing so, they taught and believed that those first five books denied the resurrection. There is no mention of resurrection in those first five books. They believed that there was no immortality of the soul. They denied the existence of angels and spirits. They were very much literalists who said none of these things exist because it's not there in the Torah. Aha, Jesus is going to prove them wrong, though. One of the interesting things in doing research on them was is that these were probably some of the first people that, that we know about in terms of being organized religion that denied anything to do with God's sovereign will. They did not believe that God had a plan for anything. That they, what they believed was, was that God just kind of wound up the world, threw it out there, and what happened is what happened. And they were very big proponents of man's free will. And in doing so, they manipulated the people that followed them with the first five books. They manipulated them. And, and, and so they would pound them over the head with things like the Ten Commandments over and over and over. These are the kind of people that we come to when we come to Luke chapter 20 this morning. I'm just going to read verses 27 through 40. Our time is, is shorter, but we're going to get through it. There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Moses really did write that. Just look up here. Moses really did write that. If we had time this morning, we would go look at it. It's Deuteronomy chapter five or 25, verses 5 and 6. Moses wrote that in his law. God wrote that in the law. That, that if you were the brother of someone who had died and, and your brother was married and that he had a wife but they hadn't produced children yet, it was your duty to take her as your wife to raise up family, okay? So they're right in their quoting of Moses' law here in verse 28. Now I want you to see the absurdity of the question that they come with. Have you noticed this before we read verse 29? Have you noticed this? The more desperate people become in, in their opposition to Christ, the more absurd they become. You ever notice that? The more desperate that people oppose Christ, the more absurd they become. That's what we see here now. Verse 29. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children, and the second, and the third took her. And likewise, all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, wait, what? Sadducees don't believe in what? Okay, but this is a scenario. In the resurrection, verse 33, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. This is the proverbial, how many angels can you fit on the head of a pin, Jesus? Verse 34, and Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, 
you have spoken well, scribes being Pharisees, for they no longer dared to ask him any question. Father, make these words come alive in our hearts today, I pray. Spirit, we're counting on you to, to guide us into truth this morning. I pray that, that you would teach us, that you would encourage us, that, that you would, by the time that we leave here, give us real hope in the resurrection and what Jesus has accomplished for us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. There's a great desire to know about death and the afterlife. Our culture is inundated with, with movies and TV shows and, and, and things that are written, books and magazine articles about death and dying, and people have, have come up with their imaginations, what's going to happen to us after we die. There's, there's, this great under, there's this great desire to understand what happens to us when we die. It's fascinating to see how other world's cultures deal with death and dying. It's fascinating even in our own country. If you attend a funeral in another region of our country, have you noticed that they're not the same as the kind of funerals we have where we live here in Ohio? Even in the cultures within our own country, we deal with death and dying different. And so there is a great question about that. Let me be clear here. The Sadducees really don't care about Jesus' take on this, okay? This is not the Sadducees on an earnest quest for knowledge. This is the Sadducees on an earnest quest to, to trip up Jesus and make him look bad. Their desire is, is, as they have done with Pharisees in the past, to leave, them, to leave the person that they've asked going, hmm, I don't have a good answer for you. It's kind of playing stump the teacher. How many of you, when you had the substitute teacher, would try to ask the substitute teacher all the really hard questions to make the substitute teacher look bad? They're trying to do that with Jesus here. But it's interesting to observe, and I've made this observation as I just kind of look around and watch people, that there are many in our world today who are comfortable believing lies about death and the afterlife. Have you found that to be true? There's a, there's a large segment of our world. It's interesting that Larry would bring up Buddhists. Buddhists are very comfortable in believing lies about death and the afterlife. It, it kind of helps their consciences. It kind of helps them to get along with life. Just this week, there's a guy who, you may have heard of this guy, Elon Musk. Elon Musk tweeted this out this week. By the way, I'm back on Twitter full bore. I'm all there for Elon Musk, okay? <laughs> I am all there. I'm like, this is good stuff right here. Sign me up. Elon Musk tweeted this out this week. I'm okay with dying and going to hell, if that's indeed my destination, since the vast majority of humans ever born will be there. Okay, Elon. Sad, isn't it? I really wonder if it was one-on-one -on -one if we talked to him and if he had just gotten a cancer diagnosis or something, if he would be so brash. The Word of God is clear. Fortunately, we don't have to trust Elon Musk and Twitter. The Word of God is clear and truthful when it tells us about the afterlife and what it'll be like. Jesus had much to say about dying and death and the afterlife. And so when he is approached with this absurd question, and it is absurd, that, that when he's approached with this absurd question, it doesn't really throw him off. As I noticed, and as you noticed in verse 28, 
they're very quick to invoke the name Moses here because for the Sadducees, it really doesn't matter what Isaiah said. It really doesn't matter what any of the prophets said. What really matters is what Moses said. So in verse 28, teacher, Moses wrote for us, and I already pointed out Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 and 6, and this is what he said, that, that if, if, if a man, brother dies, and he has, has a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There's two reasons why this was so important in this culture. There's two reasons. One, that family lines would not die out, because if your family line died out, all the family wealth would die out with it. It would go to someone else. And, and, and you think about it. All throughout their, 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 their culture and their background, they had been inundated and they, they had been so immersed in this idea of what Abraham gave he, or what he had, he gave to who? Isaac. And what Isaac had, he gave to who? Jacob and so forth. And that just got passed down and passed down and passed down. And it was, so it was, a, it was a big part of who they were. Kind of like the, the fascination that people have today with ancestries and, and getting online and looking at this. But more so for them, it wasn't just a curiosity thing. It was a matter of handing down wealth and, and handing down that family line. As I mentioned, the scenario here that they brought out is probably one that they most likely had used with the Pharisees. And what they're doing here is they're seeking to discredit Jesus as a teacher because obviously the Pharisees couldn't do the job. They couldn't discredit Jesus. And the Herodians tried with the Pharisees and they couldn't do it. So now the Sadducees, the ones who are the smartest guys in the room, they're going to step up. We're going to get this taken care of here. You guys can't get Jesus to trip up. We'll take care of this and then you guys can come in and do the dirty work then. Problem is... Problem is, they're dealing with the one who said in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. They're dealing with the resurrection. It's kind of like thinking that you know a lot about basketball, and then you're talking to a friend about it, and right over your shoulder is Michael Jordan looking at you and going the whole time. <laughs> what? They don't even realize they are talking to the resurrection himself. So I want, you to, I want you to get just the absurdity of this question. We read the question. We don't need to go through that again. We have seven brothers. And the question is, well, who's, gonna be, who's, he, who's the wife going to be married to in eternity? Come on, Jesus, give us the answer here. What's interesting to note is, is that Luke leaves out something that, I don't know about you, but, but I love a good smackdown. How many of you like a good smackdown? And how many of you love it when Jesus gives a good smackdown? Luke left that part out. But we got we to, gotta, just for the fun of it, we got to just comment on it. Matthew 22, verse 29, before Jesus answers them, he says this to them, you're wrong. I love that. He says, you're wrong, and he says, here's why you're wrong. You know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. You're wrong because you don't know the scriptures what, an, what a slam to these Sadducees, because their whole claim to fame is what? We know the first five books better than anybody. And he says to them, you don't know the scriptures, and you definitely don't know the power of God. It's a strong rebuke. I want you to note now with me 
and words really matter. And if you mark in your Bible, this is a golden opportunity for you to get a pen out because there's, there's something here that I want you to contrast here that I want you, that when you come back and you're reading Luke chapter 20 in two years from now or whenever, I want you to remember this. Look at verse 34. As Jesus begins to address them, this is what he says. And Jesus said to them, the sons of this age, Mark, this age, the sons of this age, okay? That's not hard for us to figure out. This age is referring to what? The time that, that Jesus is there, that contemporaneous time right there when Jesus is talking to them. He says, the sons of this age, the people of this age, they marry and they are given in marriage. He said, marriage is a part of what we do here. It's a big part of our culture. Verse 35, but those who are considered worthy to attain to, mark those next two words, that age, Jesus is making a contrast here with this age and that age, okay? The, the time that we're living in now and the time that's coming. Right now, life on earth is pretty mundane, and, and it's a pretty normal thing, okay? I know it's a big deal when it's you or your kids or your grandkids getting married, but people are getting married all the time, right? It's a pretty, it's a pretty common occurrence, okay? The only time in central Ohio when people aren't getting married and they shouldn't be getting married is during football season, right? Okay? There's some things that are more important. Tongue in cheek, okay? Some of you don't, don't take me out and tar and feather me. But let's understand. Marriage is just a normal part of our living, and Jesus says that. But he contrasts that with that age. And he uses that as a segue then. And in verse 35... Jesus starts to give us his teaching on what resurrected life is going to be like. How many of you, honestly, how many of you wonder what heaven's going to be like? Right? Who was it? Mercy Me wrote the song, Will I Dance Before You, Jesus, and all that stuff. You know, I can only imagine. Yeah. We can only imagine, but Jesus gives us some concrete details here. And the first thing that Jesus tells us is, is that to enter into that eternal life, one must be worthy. Do you see it there? He says this, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to that resurrection, okay? Jesus' words here are really important. And, and, and I'm sure for the Sadducees, it, it's confusing to them. What do you mean, worthy? There, there, there's no resurrection to begin with here, so why would you have to consider who's worthy to attain this resurrection? And let's just understand, it's a common theme here this morning. We even sang about it this morning. How many of us are worthy to attain the resurrection? The first song we sang this morning, who's the one who's worthy? Is he worthy, church? Are we worthy? No. So there's no one worthy because no one is righteous. And this is a direct slam on the Sadducees, and it's a direct slam to most people in our world today. You aren't good enough. You're not worthy to attain the resurrection. There's only one who's worthy to do it, and he's about to do it here. In about a week, he's going to demonstrate that he is the worthy one who can die and be raised back to life. It's only by faith in the finished work of Jesus that one is made worthy to enjoy that age. And Jesus is hinting at that now as he's talking to the, to the Sadducees here where he says, those who are considered worthy to attain that age and to that resurrection from the dead. 
if you take away nothing from this morning but this, take this one thing away. You're not worthy to attain it, but Jesus was, and you can have his righteousness put to your account so that you will be worthy to attain that resurrection. Secondly, Jesus tells us something that for some of us might be easy to swallow, and for some of us it might be hard to swallow. At the end of verse 35, notice what he says, for, or, no, from the, to the resurrection from the dead because they neither marry nor are they given in marriage. Now, if you're in a bad marriage right now, that's hopeful for you. If you're in a really good marriage right now, that's kind of sad for you. Let's just be honest. On this side, on this side of eternity, that just seems kind of hard. Why is there no marriage in heaven? Why is there no marriage in heaven? Well, because one of the main reasons for marriage is what? To procreate, right? All these little crying babies that we have in our church, right? These little bundles of joy, these blessings, and I mean that sincerely, okay? We're celebrating another birth today. They're having a shower for another one. When will it ever end? In all seriousness, I love it. I love a church that's got babies in it. <laughs> but you know what? We don't need babies in heaven. You know why? Because we don't need to pass anything along. When we get there, we're not going to die. Do you see what Jesus says there? They cannot die anymore, verse 36. They cannot die anymore. Every time that we welcome a new little life into this world, it's a reminder to us that there are some of us who are going to have to leave this life too, right? And Jesus is saying, we don't need marriage anymore. It's a great thing. But here's the thing that we need to understand. Because you're going to be like, well, that's going to be just terrible. No spouse in heaven. Guess what? Living in sinless perfection, you're going to have the ability to love even better than you can love now. Jesus points out, as I mentioned, there's no death in that age. There's no funeral homes in heaven, people. There's no cemeteries. There's no prayer chains, emails that go out who are, who are praying for people who are fighting for their lives because we don't need that in heaven anymore. Aren't you so thankful for that? And he goes on to point out the nature of our existence in that age. Look at verse 36. Says they can't die anymore. Why? Because one, they're equal to angels. Well, what does that mean? Well, angels are immortal. They were created. Do angels ever die? No. Angels are immortal. And, and, and like the angels, we will become immortal. We're never going to die. And we're also going to gain a function. We're, we're doing that function now. But just like the angels are there in heaven worshiping God, guess what? We get to join in that chorus with them. So we're equal to the angels. He says, secondly, we're the sons of God. You see it there? They're equal to angels and are the sons of God. <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> In heaven, we don't need to worry about having children because we are all his children. <laughs> we're all his children. 
And, 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 and that's why we're doing what we do now, to, to think about what Larry and Linda are doing and other missionaries that we support. Why are we so concerned that, that military members would come to know Jesus and that they would take the gospel wherever they go? Why are we so concerned that the Bible would be translated in languages? So that, because here's the thing, there's coming a day when there can be no more evangelism, right? There's coming a day when all evangelism stops, And here's the thing, those who are considered worthy to attain that resurrection, there's no more need for evangelism in heaven. You can throw out all the tracts in heaven, we don't need them anymore. All the, all the things that you were trained in evangelism, we don't need that anymore because we're all his children when we get there. He goes on to say then too, he says, not only are we the sons of God, we're sons of the resurrection. <laughs> in other words, that, that idea, sons of the resurrection, means that the resurrection is in our essential nature. That's, that's who we are now. We are resurrected ones. You and I can't relate to that right now, can we? I wake up in the morning and I feel like a very old, broken one. Anybody else with me? Aches and pains and, and all this stuff. And, 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 but now, <laughs> Jesus is saying this. They're the sons of the resurrection. Their essential nature is this, that they're resurrected. And think about it this way. The essential nature of us when we get to heaven is, is that we're going to be just like Jesus. We're going to be just like him. How do I know that? Quickly turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. John didn't talk about the Sadducees, but he wrote about resurrection. <laughs> and in 1 John chapter 3, he writes this. Verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is because it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Who are we going to be like, church? We're going to be just like Jesus, okay? We're going to be just like him. That's what John says. When he appears, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is and keep going. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself. Yes, he is pure. What Jesus is pointing to is this purifying hope that we are one day going to be just like him, the sons of God, the sons of the resurrection. Can you give me five, seven minutes here? I know it's noon. Can you do that? Can we make a deal here? All right, we good? Okay. Because Jesus does a really cool thing here, and you've got to see what this cool thing that Jesus does to the Sadducees. He uses Moses against them. Don't you love it when, 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 when you can take the wisdom of the world and use the wisdom that you have against them? And here he's going to use Moses. So now that Jesus has taught about the resurrection, he's like, well, you did bring up Moses with me, so let me bring up Moses with you. Verse 37, but the dead that are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush passage about the bush. Well, cue yourself back to the night before Easter when you're watching the Ten Commandments on TV with your family. And Moses, 
Moses, remove your shoes. The point, the burning bush. Moses shows up there. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. In fact, let's turn there because I want you just to see this for yourself. Exodus chapter 3. Jesus is referring back to something that the Sadducees held very dear. This is, this is God's call of Moses, right? And so in Exodus chapter 3, we read in verse 1 that Moses is keeping his father's, father-in-law's flock, Jethro, and, and they're, they're, they're out in the wilderness. And in verse 2, the angel of the Lord appears to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am. I am the God of your father, or the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Okay? I don't expect you to know timelines and histories. We're talking a lot of hundred years back, though, to Abraham here. And God's talking in the present tense. God's talking to Moses in the present tense. I am the God of Abraham presently. Okay? Now, go back to where Jesus is teaching in Luke chapter 20. So, verse 37 But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. We just read that part, right? Now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. In other words, Jesus is saying this. (laughs) Hey, Sadducees, I got news for you here. When God was talking to Moses, you know, the guy that you want to follow, Moses, that guy, the, the, your numero uno guy, when he was talking to him, here's what he was saying to them. I am the God presently of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, they're still alive. And the Sadducees notice a very familiar response that we have seen every time that someone has tried to tangle with Jesus. Look at verse 40. They no longer dared to ask him another question. Why? When you've been totally shamed and embarrassed by just your first question, you don't come back with question two to Jesus, do you? You don't do it. And Jesus, Jesus, to put it in our common vernacular, does does a mic drop on them, doesn't he? He's like, when, when he was talking there, he was talking about being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob presently. He's not the God of the dead. And there's something I want us to understand here this morning. Death does not end one's existence. Death does not end one's existence. For the unbeliever, death doesn't end your existence. It it places you in a place called hell, which will one day be thrown into the lake of fire. It doesn't end your existence. For the believer, it doesn't end your existence. The words of John 11, 25 and 26 are so true for us today. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. For those of you who like a little humor, verse 39, I think God puts that in there for us. 
the scribes, the Pharisees, they're like, Jesus, you got this down. Good answer, Jesus. I like that. I like that. Good answer. You've spoken well, teacher. It's just a foreshadowing because according to Matthew chapter 22, the Pharisees are going to come back one last time. And it's when they hit Jesus with what they think is their stumper question. Which is the greatest commandment, Jesus? You remember how he answered them? He gave them a twofer, didn't he? Jesus is good at that. He's like, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And, and, then, and then before they can even like argue with him, he said, and the second's like that, you'll love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, you, you can try to trip me up with this, but I know the law better than you do, Pharisees. The Sadducees were told they didn't get it right because they didn't know the scriptures and they didn't know the power of God. And I would submit to you, to know the scriptures and to believe the scriptures is to know God's saving power. It is. Romans 1.16 says this, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so for those of us in this room this morning who believe that the gospel is the power of God for salvation, the resurrection is going to be a glorious exchange for us. Do you know that? It's going to be a glorious exchange. We're going we're gonna to leave this present life and all of its pain and all of its grossness and all of its ugliness and we're going to exchange that to be with Christ in glory. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? I'll take that, I'll take that exchange. I'll take it now. Anybody else with me? I'll take it. I'll take that deal. But for those who don't believe, John 5 John puts it this way in John 5. Let me just read these words to you, what he says. Jesus, as he's talking, says this in John chapter 5. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all those who are in tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I'm not a smart man, but I know which resurrection I want to be a part of here. I want to be the resurrection of life. I don't want to be a part of the resurrection of judgment. How does that affect the way that we live this week? Should that have an effect on us? Should, should the fact that you know about the resurrection, should that change the way that you live, church? Should it? The question is, does it? Often it doesn't for us, sadly, right? We get so wrapped up with all the stuff that goes on in this world. We get so wrapped up with, with all of this stuff that we don't, we don't concentrate and think about the fact that one day, you know what? I'm getting resurrected out of this. John put it this way. Let me remind you again what he says in 1 John 3, 3. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself even as he is pure. I would venture to guess that we could all use a little more purifying, couldn't we? You know how you get more purified? <laughs> Put your hope in the resurrection. <laughs> and that'll change the way that you live. It'll change the way that you view life. It'll change the way that you, that you approach the world around you. I loved the way that Larry ended our time in ABF this morning. <laughs> Go hard after people. <laughs> Who knows how much time we have left? Who knows how much time you got left, Larry and Linda, Right? Go hard after those soldiers in Kansas, right? Go hard after them. Why? Because resurrection's coming. 
Resurrection's coming. And, it, and it's good to know where you're going to go during, at the resurrection, isn't it? It's good to know. And the world around us needs to know that there is a resurrection and a judgment coming for them. And the world needs to know that there is a resurrection to life for those that will put their faith and trust in Christ. You can be considered worthy of that resurrection. That's great hope, isn't it? That's hope that we can live out this week, isn't it? There is a higher throne. We sang about that. <laughs> and one day, those of us who are resurrected to life, we get to spend our time around that throne. Isn't that an amazing thought? It's an amazing thought. I took more than seven minutes, I think. <laughs> <laughs>